0: So what comes to your mind when you hear the word kingdom? Uh, Maybe it's something like this, uh, a royal palace like Windsor Castle. Uh, Maybe when you hear kingdom you think of United Kingdom. Maybe it's the opulence or the wealth of kingdoms that comes to mind. Uh, Visit the Tower of London and you can see the crown jewels on display. They estimate that just in terms of gold and precious stones they're valued at around about $50 million. I mean, it's clearly a way of saying that the British royal family and the United Kingdom is wealthy and powerful, that people should be impressed by this kingdom. We hear the word kingdom, and it implies a sense of significance and power and importance. One of the ideas that dominates Matthew's Gospel is that idea of kingdom word comes up more than 50 times in Matthew. John the Baptist announced that the kingdom of heaven was near. Jesus announced that the kingdom of heaven was near. Uh, He talks about kingdom attitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. And even his disciples have been sent out to pronounce to people that the kingdom is now near. But I think one of the obvious questions that we need to ask is, what is the kingdom of heaven like? I mean, the disciples had a pretty clear idea about what earthly kingdoms looked like. They were living in one of the largest kingdoms that the world had ever known, the Roman Empire. They knew what that kingdom looked like. Emperors, soldiers, wealth, power, control. And the disciples also knew about the Old Testament they had a pretty clear idea of what the kingdom of Israel looked like. They knew the stories about King David and how he defeated enemies with the sword and how he'd taken control of the promised land. So when Jesus comes and there's all this talk about kingdoms, well, what's Jesus' kingdom going to look like? Because, frankly, up to this point in Matthew's gospel, well, what Jesus is doing isn't looking much like a kingdom. I mean, there's no palace, there's no army, there's no wealth. Jesus just has a small bunch of followers and even they don't seem to fully understand what it is that he's on about. And it seems that the religious leaders, the people who you would think would be most interested in joining this kingdom, well, they seem to be opposed to what Jesus is doing. We turn to Matthew chapter 13 and almost this entire chapter is devoted to the topic of The kingdom. Jesus wants to explain to his disciples some things that they need to understand about the kingdom that he's come to establish. What it looks like and what to expect. Uh, The first parable that we have is the parable of the sower. And this is, in fact, the first parable that we've heard from Jesus. It's the first parable in each of the Gospels, and it's the first parable, I think, for a reason. It's a parable kind of about parables. This is the parable that helps us helps explain the response that people have to Jesus and his teaching. What we see in this parable is a variety of different responses to God's word. What we see when Jesus speaks is a, revi- as a variety of different responses to his message, isn't it? I mean, some people believe it, some people reject it, it's a very seer, clear, simple parable, this one. Doesn't seem to be a lot that's tricky about the story itself. A, a man is sowing seed out in a paddock and we're told that the seed falls in four different places. Wouldn't be unusual for that to happen back in those days in terms of the way that they planted seed. And we're told about a variety of different soils that this, pl- the seed lands on. Uh, the first, is that it falls onto the path. And here the seed is trampled underfoot or eaten by the birds. It doesn't even begin to take root. And then some falls on the rocky ground. The seed takes root, but there's really nothing there for it to grow. So as soon as the sun comes out, it dies. Some fell among the thorns. The seed It took took, uh, root, but but ultimately the weeds grew up around it and choked it out. And then some falls on the good soil. It grew really well, finally gave a really good return for the harvest. In fact, the seed gives an incredible return. It produces a hundred times what was sown. This isn't a lesson on farming, is it? This chapter, Jesus is determined to explain to his disciples what the kingdom is about. And I think the parable of the sower helps the disciples understand why people respond the way that they do to the message of the kingdom. Now, while the parable itself may be pretty simple and reasonably easy to understand, what Jesus says immediately following the parable seems a little bit more cryptic. Look at what it says, Matthew chapter 13, and find verse number 10. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Those seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. Now, Hang on for a second. Does that sound right to anyone else? Is Jesus saying that he speaks in parables so that people won't understand what he's talking about? Is he speaking in parables so people won't believe him? Well, It kind of sounds like the opposite of what he should be saying, doesn't it? Jesus is actually quoting here from the Old Testament, from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6. God sent the prophet Isaiah to preach to the people of Israel. But God knows that they aren't going to respond to what he says. Uh, Let me read to you from Isaiah chapter 6. This is the vision that Isaiah has uh, uh, up in heaven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. He said, Go and tell this people... Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seen, but never perceiving. Isaiah's job was to confirm just how hard-hearted Israel have become. Can I say we have a bit of an example of that kind of thing in our world today? Kim Jong-un, the North Korean leader, has just conducted a their second nuclear test. The United Nations have already come out and roundly condemned his actions in the strongest possible terms and there will be sanctions and official communications with North Korea. But does anyone really think that that's going to make any difference? Does anyone honestly think that the North Koreans are going to sit up and say, oh, goodness, there are sanctions in place, we'd better not proceed with another nuclear test? But even though it will all fall on deaf ears, the United Nations still needs to send that message to Kim Jong-un and the North Korean leadership. In a way, that's what Jesus is doing, isn't it? He'll preach, but it's just as it was with, the, with at the time of Isaiah. The people of Israel will be hard-hearted. And his preaching will confirm just how hard-hearted they are. And it's what we've seen in Matthew already, isn't it? I mean, it's not that people don't understand what Jesus is saying. It's not a question of intellectual capacity. That's not what's stopping them from responding. It's hardness of heart that's going to prevent them from responding. Remember last week, they're now plotting to kill Jesus. But then there's the other side of the coin. Have a look at verse 13 again. He replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you. The parables are also a demonstration of God's grace. There are those who understand and accept the message. And it's those whom God enables to understand. See, if you've responded to that message that Jesus is king, if you've acknowledged him as your king, then it's really only because God has enabled you to do that. Now let's get back to the parable of the sower. Uh, Jesus gives an explanation of this parable. We don't have to guess what the meaning is. He actually gives it to us. The seed, Jesus says, is the word of God or the gospel. That's the message that's preached. That's what people hear. That's what they respond to. And the response to God's word is going to fall into one of those four different categories. First, there are those, the seeds that fall on the path. There are people who hear, but perhaps because the devil stands in their way, they they never do anything about it. They don't respond to it at all. The second response is the rocky ground. This is where it initially takes root, but it doesn't really go very far. As soon as the sun comes out, as soon as there is any difficulties, they'll be giving it all away. Then there's the thorny ground. They hear and respond to the message, but somewhere down the track, the pressures or the issues of life start to crowd in, and they decide to give in to those pressures rather than to go on with their relationship with God. I can't tell you how many times I've seen this happen. People who were once involved in a church but have now drifted away, stopped going to church, stopped even calling themselves Christians. And what was it that got to them? Well, it was success. Things started going really well in their business. A few of their property investments paid off. and They came into some money and they thought they no longer had a need of God. It may be money worries, Jesus says, but it also may just be money that drags people away. Some people will give up. Finally is the good soil. This is those who hear, they respond with joy, and like the two before them, the message takes root, but it goes on and it's productive. It produces a crop a hundred times what was sown. Now, the parable of the sower helps Jesus understand some important things about the kingdom. But there's more things that Jesus wants to explain about the kingdom. And there are three more quick parables that he he gives to his disciples. In the very next parable, uh, there will be weeds growing up with the wheat. Now, the disciples have already seen some of those weeds, those religious leaders who are opposing Jesus, those who are opposed to the kingdom that Jesus is bringing. So how do you respond to that? Well, the Roman Empire certainly didn't tolerate opposition. They dealt with it severely. In fact, the Romans wanted to put Jesus to death because they saw him as opposition. But Jesus says the wheat and the weeds can grow together. It'll all be sorted out at the judgment the disciples don't need to worry about it now. But then there's something else that comes up in these parables and it's how small and insignificant the kingdom might look. If this is the kingdom of heaven, God's kingdom, then how come it looks so tiny and so insignificant? Well, Jesus says that his kingdom is a bit like a mustard seed or yeast. From a tiny, tiny seed, a tree grows. Worldly kingdoms like to try and impress with their size and power. You might have seen the inauguration of President Obama on the TV. They had hundreds of thousands of people there for it. It's a show of strength for them. Or even things like this in North Korea, one of the poorest countries in the world, but they love to do these military parades, show off all of their hardware and their equipment, make sure that there are loads of people there They want to convince their own people, as well as the rest of the world, just how strong they are. But Jesus isn't trying to do that, is he? He says the kingdom is probably going to look insignificant. And in some ways, that's true. I mean, think about it. By the time of the death of Jesus, it was hardly a kingdom. I mean, it was a tiny number of supporters who were following him. And sometimes it can still feel a little insignificant today. I mean, think about what it's like in this country. Less than 10% of people in Australia attend church regularly. The kingdom doesn't feel very significant, does it? Now, here in Balmain, more people tick no religion on the census than any other part of Sydney. But the kingdom is growing, Jesus says, and every day we know that there are thousands more people who are joining the kingdom. And the final thing that Jesus wants to stress is the value of the kingdom. There are two parables. Let me read them both for you, starting at verse 44 of chapter 13. Kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. It may seem small. It may start small. It may seem insignificant. You may even find that you face opposition because of your faith. But membership of this kingdom is the most valuable thing that you could ever have in your entire life. And it's worth giving up everything to be a part of this kingdom. One last thing. Can I get you to flip over to chapter 14? Matthew is presenting us with two stories, two feasts that seem to illustrate a difference between Jesus' kingdom and the kingdoms of this world. Uh, The first feast at the beginning of chapter 14 is a feast where Herod is the king. Uh, He has his invited guests who come to join him at the feast and Herod is so impressed with a dancer that he makes the stupid boast that he'll give her whatever she asks for. She goes and consults her mother, who has a bone to pick with John the Baptist. So she tells her daughter, go and tell Herod that you want the head of John the Baptist on a plate. And in a pathetic show of power, Herod obliges and John the Baptist is killed. But then there's the other feast, the other kingdom, where Jesus is king. I'm sure the guests didn't look as impressive, certainly didn't have the same guest list as Herod's feast, It's just a bunch of hungry people out in the middle of nowhere who've been listening to Jesus. And he shows his power and he shows his compassion to these people. A miracle is performed and they're all fed. I'm sure this miracle is supposed to look back to God's provision for the people of Israel in the wilderness. And I'm sure that this feast is supposed to look forward to what God has in store for us in heaven. But above all, it shows us that this is the kingdom that you want to belong to. It may seem small, it may seem insignificant, but this is the king that you want to trust. This is the kingdom that's worth giving up everything to be a part of. How about we pray?